Welcome to Foot Guns. It is Wednesday, January 4th. It is me, Wasabi, back in action, just connecting after uh, taking a moment to capture a small snake that was slithering around on the floor of my office. Thankfully, me and my family are safe now. Back on the line with the host formerly known as Boomer, Cletus, the chicken abuser, and Hal69K. What's going on, guys? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's the year of the chicken. Oh, is it really? Is it the Chinese year of the chicken? No, no, I don't know. You know, I I think the Chinese New Year is even on a separate date or whatever, but I'm declaring it the year of the chicken, which makes it the year of the chicken. Yeah, we're, uh, I mean, the main thing now is we're forgetting about 2022. All our our scars are are there to remind us, but uh, now it's about looking. Yeah, and look, I mean, per the track changes in 2017, uh, you now get to keep, if your main profession, if it's an ordinary income loss as a, as a trader and you had losses from last year, you now get to keep them infinitely. You used to only be able to carry them forward 15 years, but now you get to carry forward infinitely, but unfortunately you can't cast back. So, um, except for that, whatever that little deduction thing is. But, uh, yeah, uh, 2022, um, was a great year to be a trader, terrible year to be an investor, and bad being crypto generally. So I was listening to y'all's last podcast while I was uh, biking around earlier. Are you still uh, long Ethereum, both of you? Or I'm a uh, yeah, I'm I'm still long my like my big spot position that I put on uh, last what was it October or something and. Um, just before the FTX crash, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I I definitely traded this low recently on some high leverage, and I closed that this morning because this was this was my target. But I do um, I don't know. I'm pretty bullish on Q1. I think uh, I think there's just going to be some relief in the crypto markets, specifically in Bitcoin and Ethereum. I agree. I think it's going to be uh, awful for. I mean it. You know, traditionally, there's been a rally in outperformance in the DeFi or altcoin world, but I think that might not happen this time. I mean, crypto has to evolve like all other assets and have a cyclicality and have relationships. And I think one of the things you may see in the past that may not happen this time is you may get a decent uh, jump in Bitcoin, particularly as the dollar weekends, but you may not see that translate into uh you know, the DeFi space um, because it's harder and harder to get people to sort of enter the DeFi space at the moment, I think. My thing is, I'm just imagining everyone, the consensus right now, I've never seen, or I guess I probably have. I would say I've never seen it, but, you know, it's always sort of, you've always seen it. But the consensus surrounding TradFi right now is so strong. I, I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, now, you don't want to run around and be counter-trend and contrarian all of the time. I mean, a lot of people were bullish for the last, I don't know, however long, and they Wait, were You right. mean the consensus that first half or first quarter is going to be bad and then we're yes. going to rally? Got yes. It. So what do you do? If you, if you let's focus less on the first part, but just go straight to the second part. So let's say you're in an investment meeting right now and a mutual fund or whatever, and you guys have bought into the theory of back half of 2020. Uh, three and uh, 2020 first half is going to be bad. You're looking to buy during the bad and then sell during the good. And so what I think there ex- exists is if that becomes consensus and everyone acts on it, 
the people are going to start to leg into positions here. You know, they're going to start putting if they're if their total value they're allocating towards Google is ten dollars, they're going to start buying it in increments. And the thing is, if it's consensus and it's a herd mentality, and you get enough consensus actors, then if everyone legs in at the same time, then they start to you know the price starts to go up. Then they have to chase into it, and we get a disconnect from the fundamental reality of the economy. And earnings may be bad. We saw this in 1982 where stocks made a low, but they earnings went down 20%. The stocks never made a fresh low. And so uh, I really do think that could happen. But I, I believe strongly in the following trade. This is financial advice. Just email us and you can sue me. I do think if you short uh, NASDAQ, go long Ethereum, you'll, be, you'll win this year. And I don't even like Ethereum, as everyone knows. I don't even like it. But I think you'll win if you're short um, QQQ and long yeah. E-F, E-F, Ethereum, whatever. Here's here's what I've been thinking about, and this is something that you were talking about on the last uh, podcast, and the idea of the relief rally once people realize that X is not dead. So, you know, Bitcoin not dead, that's when a big rally happens, ETH not dead. The biggest question for me is Solana. So that was intimately tied to the SBF. Stay out of um, if you can, if you make, if you can make the call dead or not dead on Solana today, that strikes me as like the highest alpha. It's you know, it's only one cycle old. If Solana survives here, I think in a long term, if if there's a use case for it, which may be very different than like the Ethereum use case, if you're right on that there's probably the biggest alpha in that decision. I, I think you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, but I think you should stay out of it. Why? Because I think you can, I think, I, th- I just think it has the risk reward versus Ethereum and Solana. It's not necessarily there. I think you're hundred percent correct. Um, I just feel like, I feel like, you yeah, can, it's a, it's a tough, well. uh, it's a tough call I just don't because, like the actors. Um, the actors well, yeah, I mean, you have to remember so like VC-centric. the whole thing that went down, well, like the whole thing that went down in Ethereum, though, where with the Ethereum Classic, where um, you know there was the the original DAO that was created, and then some money got stolen, and then the Ethereum, you know, developers were like, "Oh, we'll just fork the chain." So I don't know. I feel like if you had been around in that moment, uh, you know, Ethereum went down like ninety five percent or something like that. It, it would have been pretty easy, I think, to to say the same thing about Ethereum that we're saying about Solana now. Just saying, I do feel the same way as you, which is like I'm I'm not touching Solana because. I feel that way. Like, I feel like it's kind of just worthless, but at the same time, if it is worth something, then, you know, uh, you probably have plenty of time to buy back in and, and, uh, yeah, maybe you miss this, this relief rally. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's got a really, really pretty, how many times do you need to be, how many times do you need to be shit on by VC and crypto to just be like, these people are not good at what they do. They're, they are, they're good at what they do. It's it's that, they do things like dump Coinbase on a direct listing and then have its market cap be worth less or less than Dogecoin. But VCs are not in business to help you. And they sure as shit don't understand DeFi. And so any, if, if the VC presence of Solana is gone, then, then I think Wasabi, I would do it. But I mean, I, the biggest lesson isn't rug pulls from SBF or all this other shit. To me, it's like, do not trust VC stuff. I mean, we saw this in TradFi with this um, re-IPOing cycle that came in sort of 2010 to 2013 
where these trashy overlevered companies, the private equity just dump on the public markets because they need an exit. The real reason why you go public is to raise, to replace debt with equity and grow your company. But they were just looking for an exit and they were just dumping these companies. Now, some of them did pretty well, Dollar General, but a lot of them didn't. And the reason is they were way over levered. I, I just think that can't, that's the theme. If the foot gun of, of, of crypto is VC equals destruction of capital in the story. Thank you. So if not Solana, are there any other projects, layer ones, chains, you talked about Matic a little bit, that you would apply the same logic to? Are there any things that could get left for dead? Just strikes me that anything you can pick out, you know, like from the last cycles, 99% of stuff goes to zero. The things that stay around come back bigger and stronger. If you can identify what those things are, um, then you're going to make a lot of money. So are there any other kind of lower tier cryptos that you think will be around in the next cycle that are going to be useful. I, I like the case I would make for Solana on the opposite of the, the VC thing. Yes, that's definitely a black eye. There's VCs that have bags to dump on you. Um, but it strikes me that it has these technological advantages over Bitcoin and ETH that it has a very fast execution. There could be like, I've heard people talking about, you know, you could, use Solana as like a web hosting, decentralized web hosting. There could be other sort of like apps that are built on it that are just different technically than what you can build on um, Ethereum today. So I don't know if that, if that sticks around, like it might be just like a, a kind of gambly play here. I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm not, I'm not acting on it, but let's give, let's yeah. give, Hal, let's give Hal, Hal a few minutes to think about that. And, and, because he's the one that really needs to answer that because he's Mr. Use Case because he understands the code. But uh, congr- I just want to congratulate Wasabi. This is my first time to congratulate you on your phenomenal Crocs trade. I don't know how much that thing is up, but our little trading shop now has Crocs on our screen. And we use it as sort of a risk barometer. And uh, I laughed at you for going on Crocs at like $60 or something. I think the stock's trading, what, north of 100 or something. Like one um, five, one six. What do you mean? Why do you look at it as a risk barometer? You look at it like you would look at Bitcoin. Yeah, no, it's it, not not quite as much as Bitcoin, but it's a risk barometer in the sense it's a small company that's you know retail. Uh, it's the health of the consumer. Um, it's uh, it's garnered some popularity in the retail trading space. So um, it's got all the things you need to sort of serve as a risk barometer. The other big risk barometer that we're using right now is Tesla because we think it's the ultimate meme stock. Um, more people are investing in that because uh, they think it's cool and Elon Musk is cool and they want to stick it to the man or something. Uh, then are based are you know really believe that it's going to grow as a, a manufacturer of automotive, you know of 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 cars. And so I think if you have um, if Tesla bought when Tesla puts in its bottom. I think will be the market bottom, and it's got it's got a ways to go, perhaps. But there is that snare we just can't get get out of our head, which is if people start legging in now, if consensus is back half of 2023, you don't want to wait till 2023 to buy the back half of 2023. You want to buy it now. So we may just never get that flush that everyone's looking for. I just came back from a trip to California and was struck by. 
just the sheer number of Teslas I saw on the road and not just in like Bay Area. We drove through some fairly rural um, agricultural parts of California and drove through uh, charging stations in the middle of, you know, all men country that were absolutely full of, of Tesla's charging. And I just had this weird kind of like, this is sort of the future moment, like the unevenly distributed future where it was just kind of, you know, and I, I go there regularly. My wife lives out there or my wife's family lives out there yeah. and just seeing, seeing um, the adoption and what you would think of, you know, this was like conservative fuck Gavin Newsom country. Um, chock full of teslas all charging right but kind of, that's uh, the point is when is the last were they all, that, you, were they you all wearing see... crocs too with the little yeah. thingies but, but that's the point on tesla when is the last time you saw saw a damn car company get political and particularly one that's like there to save the environment all i can tell you is driving through the santa fe mount taos driving through the santa fe tesla dealership it is full of cars this is the first time that they i mean what liberal which is the target audience for electric vehicles. What liberal will ever buy a Tesla again? What I heard, so my my in-laws are uh, both Tesla. They're a dual Tesla family, very liberal um, environmental types. And I was asking them about this, and they they are basically like the Silicon Valley buzz is just like Elon has left the station, the adults are in charge of all his companies. All of the companies have like Elon so damage control committees. They're saying that they, they're believing that, okay, Elon is off doing billionaire fun shit and the real people are running the company. So it's kind of like... Did the Elon real people is, decide to put the Model S at a $7,500 discount at the end of the year? Did the real people decide that you know they, they missed on deliveries? I mean, look, I'm just telling you, Elon Musk is running the oh. same... It's not I'm, running I'm not, a winning playbook right now. I'm not saying I'm an, I'm long Tesla or going to buy Tesla. I think obviously like the recession is coming, like they're going to get crushed just like other cars. I don't know. That's perfect. I don't know. I think Hal made a good point. I think Hal made a really good point in the Spacing Guild, which by the way, plug the Spacing Guild, which is part of our premium thing where we give uh, takes on trade. I don't know. Q1 or at least January could be a, a big, uh huh, you know, like. This is the most anticipated recession in the history of the world. And the key to a recession, I heard a really, really interesting statistic yesterday. I think it's worth bearing, repeating. And that is that when people, the price of people's houses go up and appreciate, they typically spend 10% of that appreciation. So if the price of your house goes up $100,000, you, you, you tend to spend $10,000. Now, that's stupid because it's an illiquid asset. If the price of your stock portfolio which is liquid, goes up $100,000, people only typically spend $2,000. So they go on like a nice trip or something. Um, and I think that, that, you know, the two big things we haven't seen drop are unemployment and housing. And you have to have that in a recession. And then there's 1.7 jobs opening for every American right now. And I think that, that until we solve the labor stuff, we could have a recession where employment stays high. Uh, that is possible, but unlikely. And housing prices are coming down the fastest they ever have in Australia right now, but that's not necessarily true in the United States. Um, but not a lot of housing deals are getting done because mortgage rates have gone up so much. But uh, a lot of some people are so wealthy from being invested in 401ks, whatever, 
and wage shorter rises and raises they got in COVID and all that, um, that they may go ahead and take the really high interest rate on a fixed mortgage on the idea that it'll go back down. Um, so I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm still seeing there's a, there's still $30 million houses for sale in Santa Fe. Now they're for sale. So that means they're incorrectly priced because they would have been sold if they're correctly priced. But that's Santa Fe, New Mexico. We're talking about here, not Beverly Hills, California, $30 million, not Malibu. And so it, until you see that type of the rent pressure come out of the CPI, and people are going to still feel relatively wealthy based on that statistic, right? Because their their houses have appreciated. Yeah, I think people are still doing housing deals under under the impression that this is a temporary rate hike. They're not going to be able to sustain it, and they're going to refinance in a year or two back at low rates. Right, and and if, if, you if have- rates stay high for you know two, three, four years, you're going to start to feel it more and more. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And that's why that's why the Fed is more likely to err. And, you know, you've never had there's never been something another great people are full of so many statistics too this time, you know, and um, some are good and some are bad. One was we've never created a new loan in the stock market if we hit the 50 percent retracement of something. And everybody got into that one. Well, we took that out. That didn't work. But everybody's full of all of these statistics, like, you know, if the Cleveland Browns win the Super Bowl or, you know, all these weird sort of, um, you know, everyone has such an awareness of those historical statistics. I wonder if they're actually become self-fulfilling prophecies at some point. Right. I think still the uh, Super Bowl commercial indicator is uh, undefeated. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but that could be a coincidence. I those are the kind of things that that are that are that are people become legends in in the office because they shorted based on this Super Bowl connection, or they become legends uh, if they go on CNBC and talk about it. But the reality is, is that professional investors don't really do that, and neither should you. Probably. I mean, there were all kinds of signs to be wary about a potential bubble last year, but I don't think necessarily you can be like, Oh, just Super Bowl ads or something. We had a billionaire space race. We had, you know, so, I mean, just, it was blinking red inverted yield curve. Uh, VC deals were getting done. Now we know that VC deals, what other VC deals PS, what are the VC deals, which remember they don't have to mark to market because they're illiquid. What other VC deals got done without due diligence like FTX? Is that the new way to do things? Like they, these people were running QuickBooks. And so are 50% of VC deals done without any due diligence these days? Like what's up with that? How did they miss just on this one? They didn't, I guarantee you. So I, if there's one thing, I'm, I'm again, I sound like a broken record here, but the, the, if there's one thing, I, I wish I could just short VC. I said that summer of 2021 on this podcast. I, I just, they just, that FTX was yet more evidence of why you should be short VC. So how have you had some time to think about some side chains, side, some, some altcoins that might, you know, given the scenario we just described, which is a, you know, slow rise in the price of Bitcoin, Ethereum, are there, are there other ones you can think of whose use case is compelling enough that they could outperform, say a bull run in Ethereum and or Bitcoin? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm going to take like a, maybe a, 
completely different approach to the to the same question and sort of reflect on my successes in the last um you know let's call it bull cycle or whatever bull bear cycle crypto cycle um you know I, while while you guys were talking i was just reading through the top like 100 coins and you know at this point for the last 6 months or something there's nothing in there that I don't, you know, I've never seen before. It doesn't surprise me or whatever. And then if you short by, I mean, uh, sort by the last 24-hour movers, you know, like one of the top coins is Ethereum Classic, right? You know, so it's like, oh, why, you know, do you think Solana's having a comeback because it's useful? It's like, do you think Ethereum's Classic's having a comeback because it's useful? Like, no, absolutely not. No, because not. people are accidentally um, buying it. That's one of the right, biggest, right. biggest so uh, I, bull indicators. Yeah. I think that, like, I would categorize these top 100 coins into three categories right um which is basically the ones that hold on, are hold on i'm going to take notes okay this, this sounds like yeah, yeah. Talk. three categories hold <laughs> on let me get a piece of paper three categories go so yeah let's call it like you know the ones that are are useful that everyone trusts which is just stable coins bitcoin and ethereum and like basically that's just te- the top three you know like tether bitcoin and ethereum let's just call that um and then you have the vc back crap which is you know things that we've talked about um which i i'll throw binance into vc backed but then you have like these sort of um i don't know like the real the real cryptos right the ones that like sort of emerge out of nothingness um these are the ones that are like left i think in the tops are dogecoin. Um, yeah like dogecoin um we could maybe argue that um like curve is in that category shiba inu um you know the uh what, things that used to be there were things like you know wonderland time and um all, all those danny coins and stuff. um used to be year in finance i don't know if that's in the top 100 anymore but these are coins that like literally emerged out of a new technology and sort of my argument is you just sit here and you look at the 100 coins and you ignore them. You can buy a few if you want to like, you know, use them as um, uh, you have a better word for it, but you know, the, just to get yourself in the market and, and, and feel it a bit, you know, pick, pick around, but don't put a lot of money in and then just wait for something new to enter the top 100. And then, you know, if it goes up to 95 the next day, just don't question it and just buy it, right? And, and then when that, it goes to fifty, sell it. Let me ask you something, Hal. Is that is that yeah. is that kind of insight that you're providing as to what may or may not pick that category? Is that something the insight that listeners of this free podcast might be able to get on the Spacey Guild? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we'll be talking about it, right? And we'll just like, for the everyone who doesn't know, yeah, the Spacey yeah. Guild is a private channel for paid subscribers or foot guns on our Discord, where we where we provide actionable trades i typically talk about things that people will never trade like diesel spreads and stuff like that but uh, it may be less helpful but you know the the uh that's something that people can get but go ahead sorry sorry yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely but yeah i mean the uh the big the big winners the kind of my you know point is the big winners that are going to be here in this next cycle uh aren't on this top 100 list and they're probably not on any list, right? They probably don't exist yet. Um, I, sure, Solana might perform, and like it might outperform other things on the top hundred list. But uh, you know, what is it? It's in the top twenty, right? So like you're talking about um, where is it? It's at Solana. It's pretty high, right? Uh, yeah, seventeen, and it already has a market cap of five billion. And uh, 
you know, Tether has a market cap of 66 billion. So you're looking at like a 10x gain, which is, you know, that'd be fantastic, right? Huge, unbelievable returns. But if you don't believe in Solana and you don't like know what you're buying and it goes through all these big ups and downs, you're never going to hold it through a a 10x gain. And um, some of these tokens that I'm talking about that came along that, you know, they show up one day, you buy the thing and like you don't know what it is and and it does like a five x in like a day or something and then you sell it and you're just like okay that's it I'm done I'm out of that that trade that happened that happened like I, I think I got like three or four of them in uh twenty 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 one um bull cycle and that happened like twenty twenty five times or something like that in the top one hundred coins so yeah I mean it it what you know once the money comes in and people are literally inventing new cryptocurrencies like out of thin air um. Yeah, like, you know, there's there's exuberance. And um, the thing that doesn't happen is, like, the stupid ICP coin, which just, like, gets released, you know. Yes, that, like, my right, dog. Right, yeah. My <laughs> yeah. dog, I was like, this thing sucks at 400. It sucks at 40. Right, right. It sucks right. at so, 8. Like, we're not just coming at it from the side of, like, buy this because it's built out of thin air and it's brand new technology and it's going to go up. But also, don't touch this because it's not brand new technology. It's VC-backed and it's completely overpriced like right at the get-go right so um yeah i mean but it's a it's a different technique than like buying bitcoin and ethereum right you're 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 stock picking you're like you're penny stock picking essentially right yeah Um, this is where trapfire this is where trapfire and crypto are the exact same which is if you have been in the stock market and and you're a long-shorted equity investor you've there's been two wholly different realities taking place if you were in high-flying tech names You've gotten destroyed over the last year, but Procter and Gamble's up. Um, Pepsi is up. Uh, you know, some healthcare stocks are hitting all-time highs, and so it's really been a tale of two sto- two cities in the stock market. So, if you were a good stock picker, it got defensive, and you know the Dow Jones outperformed. That was it was only down five percent last year, and Nasdaq peaked the trough on the futures at least was down forty. So, um, you know, it was these, it was the things that that's been the big question too in TradFi right now is, is the things that led the last, led us out of, or, you know, rallied in the last cycle or the leaders of the last cycle, will they be the ones to lead us out of this bear market or will, will it be a new set of groups? And that is exactly what you just said out 69K. So if there's anybody well, yeah, listening yeah. to this, if there's anybody listening to this who doubts like why we take this approach, of talking about TradFi alongside crypto, because if God knows there are enough crypto-only podcasts, right? I mean, they're on every street corner. You can get any take you want to suit whatever view you already have. But we're the only one who take the TradFi versus or overlap versus crypto because the, what you said is an, a mirror image, right, of what's been taking place in the stock market. If you went long the quality stuff, Bitcoin, and shorted some questionable stuff, Solana, you did really well um, and, uh, uh, in 2022. So, you know, hindsight's 2020, right? I mean, whatever. But I, I think that uh, that's just a perfect illustration of why Foot Guns is the greatest podcast ever. And I'm, I'm in a promotion, promotional mode today. I don't know. No, it's great. And okay, I'll get one more um, one more thing to back up my thesis of why the number one performer in the next bull cycle doesn't exist yet is a lot of people, you know, I'm sure people listening as as well as you know people that 
you you and I know and Wasabi knows uh, got burnt in this last cycle, and a lot of them were working in industry, and so those people are going to leave the project they're working on, which is you know maybe something that's in the top 100 list, and they're going to go and build something else, and it takes time for them to go and you know get a new team together or find a new team and establish an idea and get that project launched. My guess is you know what one to two years, six months if they're like some crazy you know super fast developers or something or if they got a head start like six months ago. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of my like, okay, there's people out there that are working on the next thing, and they probably were people that were working through this cycle that have now you know moved on to go work on whatever idea they came up with while they were working on this thing. So yeah, that's sort of my argument for why something will emerge that even if Solana is useful technology, it's just been like burnt so bad that all someone has to do is like fix something that Solana is doing wrong and, you know, that's going to skyrocket. Yeah, I, I, I think that's well said. So do we get to your category three? Yeah, so the three categories are basically like the things we trust, which is sort of like the top three, the VC back tokens, which is like your ICP, you know, um, uh, what were the other ones? I mean, you know, Avalanche, uh what are some other like really bad ones? Wait, you uh, said top three. Tether is number three. You trust Tether. Tether's good. Uh, I, I think that if it's a stable coin that's existed for many, many years and is still working, um, that you, you have other things to to be worried about. Like, you know, I'd, I'd rather hold Tether than Cardano. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Um, that's my yeah. weird. That's my weird call for 2023. Is I think Cardano, Cardano, Cardano back to number three. Yeah, I think Cardano is is it's got enough. Um, I don't know. Use at least when it was first presented, right? It had at least it had enough use case people, but I can't. I'm not sure. It doesn't have the cult following, right? It doesn't have people are just oh, like I don't know cult following. Well, it yeah, it has a it has a strange cult following. Like a, I don't know, like an unquestionable. Like it's not, it's not like the people that like Cardano don't necessarily like go around and yell at other people. But you know, they're like I saw some interviews with like bros on the street at like um, what was it Mardi Gras or something, and they were just like, "What crypto do you like?" Like Cardano, Cardano, <laughs> like you know. Well, I was the only point I was going to make is Uni might be the ultimate sort of cult thing, and I don't know if Cardano has a cult as big as Uni. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm bullish my... Uni. I'm bullish the Uni cult. Also, I, I think the do, the the dog coins will continue to. Um, the PS, you know, I'm that's like a cult sub, in a bad way here. Yeah, sub subcategory of um, you know that that category of things that just emerge out of nowhere. Yeah, I think that the dog coins will continue to. Um, perform i don't know i i don't i I don't know what's going to take them down uh unless like someone has to build something on top of it like you know if if, like ftx had had you know everyone's dogecoin or whatever like in you know sam bakeman free lost everyone's dogecoin then like maybe that would take dogecoin down but i don't know maybe people just buy it more (laughs) okay wasabi i got a question for you stronger hands i okay wait i have something for you guys but go ahead yeah, well, sorry. There's who owns Twitter right now, and who owns Twitter this time next year? I don't think Elon's going to lose control of it. I mean, he's he's one of the investors, right? He's a majority investor, but 
there's there's you know VCs and their those buddies, um, you know, are in there and uh, with them and the guys who provided the limited amount of debt because the company's never made money. It's very hard to get debt. Um, it's now trading thirty cents on the dollar. They don't have the power to foreclose. I don't think. Um, kind of way because it's not a lot of money when you really get down to it in Wall Street terms. Like nine billion dollars of debt. I don't think you know, goes into a distressed debt situation where you can foreclose on it. Um, but I think one of the things that could happen to Twitter is that it's just such a piece of garbage now. And the only people who are really still on it are people who have legitimate Twitter addictions, which I do. I'm one of those people. I can't stand Elon Musk. I can't stand Twitter, the whole thing or whatever, but I can't stop Twitter. I'm addicted. But one of the things that they might do, I think, is just be like, all right, this sucks. This is stupid. And Microsoft buys it or something, you know, for just, I mean, pennies on a dollar, like $10 billion or something. Microsoft's done, you know, Skype. Remember, um, Skype was thought to be worthless and Microsoft paid like $15 billion for it or something. So I think I think it might wind up in someone else's hands. Have you heard of uh, this Mastodon uh, yeah, platform? I, was, I, mean, I think, you know, the, the thing... T- I think Twitter's got going for it is there's just so many freaking people on it. Adam McKay, the director, had a million followers on Twitter, and he left. He gave up a million followers on Twitter and went to Mastodon. Who gives up a million I, followers on Twitter? Think if you had a – I, I have 4,000. The highest I had was 8,000. And um, the the when you have 8,000 followers, and, I mean, you, you're – your stuff gets retweeted automatically. It's like a dopamine rush. Like it's like total validation of who you are as a person. <laughs> That's why people become social media whores. It's like, it's a total validation. Cause you know, whatever. But I mean, Adam McKay was willing to give up a million followers on Twitter. And now he's on Mastodon. So I, I, I just, I think anytime you have something like that there again, I think that the, the, they may be a little bit anomalous your relatives, your liberal relatives in California. I, I just don't, I don't, I, the, I, I don't think Twitter makes it in its current form. I think they have, here, here's the, here's how I would take it off. I, I believe that Twitter, just like many of these web 2.0 companies had a massive overstaffing, right? That, given like the way technology is improved, they can run it with much lower headcount so they can take costs out that way. Elon's already done a lot of that. Um, and they also have the ability to turn up the dials on their targeting stuff. So I run some Twitter ads for another project and I've, I've had experience with Google ads, Facebook ads, all the big ad networks. And one of the things that I've always wanted to do on Facebook is to be able to target ads to a specific Facebook group because then you can know these are like in a way the perfect audiences, right? Like if you can find a Facebook group that's related to your topic, then you can show them ads exactly for a product that's related to their interest. Um, Twitter ads allows you to do exactly that or very similar. It allows you now to target your ads to the followers of a certain person. So imagine, you know, you could target your, uh, cosmetics ads to the followers of a certain beauty influencer. Um, that's incredibly valuable for advertisers, right? So there, there are ways that... Is that a change in Twitter? I believe it is. I hadn't played with Twitter. Um, 
here's the problem. The, the, only, the only thing pushback I give you on that, that is very well articulated. Very insightful, by the way, Wasabi. It's very, very, very well articulated. And, a, and, a, and something I didn't know and I'm going to have to think about. But um, I will say this, that Twitter has traditionally appealed that its strongest fan base has been sort of more civil libertarian to the internet, right? Sort of, um, it's been a free-for-all. When Microsoft removed its bots from LinkedIn, they moved, removed 10 million, 10 million fake LinkedIn accounts. And on or about the same time period, Twitter said it removed its bots. They removed 11,000. The bot problem is real. I've, I've noticed a real they, like, they, ping-ponging. They, Twitter needs it. They need it. That's the whole thing. Is yeah, I mean, it, it makes it look like uh, there's more. People. Yeah. Yeah, so Twitter needs it. Like they, that, That's the thing. It's part of their business model. So when the, the idea, look, the, when anyone shows up and they're like, I want to save free, free speech, you should just run. That is not why they're doing this. And so, um, I mean, they're, they're, he spent time unmasking this big, massive conspiracy over the least consequential thing that ever happened in the history of mankind, which is pictures of uh, the current president's dick. You know, like, come on. I mean, that that is, they're conspiracy-minded, weird Wait, Biden's dick? Did I miss something? No, 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 his son. You mean Hunter? Son. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, his son doesn't work for the government, unlike the previous president. His children are not involved in the day-to-day affairs of government. Um, I mean, he's never set he's never set foot in their government position. So anyway, th- th- we could go down that rabbit hole. I just think, like, Elon has jumped the shark so bad that I don't think he'll ever come back. I don't think there's a comeback story here. Sorry. Oh, and I, I think, think Elon I think has Twitter's wildly dead. overexposed himself, and well, the it's question just is the villain why and people are going to get sick of him. Just like no, but the question is. Why? Why would you lose? Why would you pay two hundred billion dollars to own the libs on Twitter? Two hundred billion dollars that guy paid to own the libs on Twitter and to troll people to be the the most followed troll in the world. That is expensive trolling. That's crazy. Thought it would be funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'll, it'll take a long you, you time know, before someone <laughs> before someone beats that uh, record. I know. I mean, it's just like, but I'm telling you. The, like, like the, that's the thing about the All In podcast. I just want to rant about the All In podcast, and I'll, I'll promise we'll bring it back to something useful. But those guys, I mean, who the f- they gave up so much money to go be podcast famous. It's like, are you fucking? That, that is bizarre. As a VC or as a fund manager, you want to be as out of the spotlight as possible. You want everyone to focus on your founders, your CEOs, your portfolio companies. The last thing you want to be is part of the headline. And these guys surrendered their VC life and uh, whatever. I mean, SPAC stuff was never going to last to, to get podcast famous. And your content is all focused around Matt Taibbi, a weirdo, former liberal turned conservative conspiracy theorist, and Glenn Greenwald. I mean, it's just those guys are literally the worst human beings on the planet right now. And they're the dumbest. They really are. I mean, they, 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 they are just, and if they get that, that sort of, that whole crowd and just, they're, they're just sort of the worst. Anyway, that's back the, to, the attention economy. I mean, like, so I, when I remember when Elon Musk went on the Joe Rogan podcast 
during the bull market. And that makes one of us. And Tesla was at $200 or whatever. And it, I remember thinking like, this is great. Why doesn't every billionaire just go on a podcast and kind of like talk and shoot the shit. And it cuts both ways, right? He got a taste of that. He started getting on there regularly. He started tweeting. He started putting himself out there. When number goes up, people love you. You're the hero. When it starts going the other way, it puts gas on the fire in the other direction. So I think it's a double-edged sword. Now, you look at the Forbes uh, top 100 wealthiest people. Most of them try to stay the fuck away from celebrity. Like, you don't ever hear from the Walton family. You know, the Walmart people. And there's like 18 of them. I know like six. And they all have over a billion dollars. And there's just, I mean, they're never in the press, ever. That's yeah. that's true, and I think you know one thing. Uh, we're, uh, while we're on the topic of media, oh wait, hold on, during, hold on. Though. Wait, isn't doesn't uh, Kim Kardashian have a VC fund now? <laughs> she probably does. I mean, it got to the point where, and not to not to not to not 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 to, not to throw rocks at our buddy liquid, liquidity or anything, but it came to the point where he had a little VC syndicate, and I got a text from. I was like, sure, I'll invest, whatever. I got a text from him like, Yo, can you send ten thousand dollars for this thing? I was like. There's no PPM. There's no there's no offering document. You want me to just wire ten grand from a text? And I was like, man, this is the ultimate sign of a VC bubble um, I've sort of ever seen. So uh, anyway, back to back up, getting back on the road here. Twenty twenty three. You got anything since you were gone last time, wait, Bobby? Wait. Okay, here's something I want to talk about. Sure. I don't know if I posted about this. I was in this trade. Um, this guy, Mark Cahodes, came out with a short thesis on Silvergate Bank, which is a bank that was basically the conduit for money going into FTX. They had this kind of, they were a small bank in California, local bank, started doing crypto shit, became basically like one of the few banks that would provide services for big exchanges. I think they do loan, They're you know, they back some of Michael Saylor's uh, loans by Bitcoin and are wiring money around for FTX. Um, I, I bring it up because I opened my screen and they were up 22% today. I had some puts <laughs> and I closed, I closed them. Uh, I think I, I shorted at like 22 or something and then exited at like 16 or 17. And then now they're up, they're back at 21 today. I don't know what's going on with them, but have you thought since I think uh, all the, all the crypto stocks are up today. So someone sent me a message actually a couple hours ago and asked, they were like, what's going on? Yeah. I think like anything that, you know, is related to crypto that is a uh, equity this morning was up like multiple, at least like 10%, 15% or more. Uh, I don't know if it's just like a short covering. Well, yeah, I, that's, that's what it seemed like to me. But so Cletus, my question for you yeah. as the crypto TradFi crossover, are these banks that provided services for FTX or any of the other, um, persona non grata, are they going to be in trouble? Are they going to get a slap on the wrist? Are they going to get wiped yeah. out by fines and stuff? Yeah. So I think, uh, not wiped out by fines. I mean, because they're going to have to, I think it's all going to come down to, uh, the, the money's gone. It's been turned over to the authorities, so to speak. And I don't think the SEC has any interest in tracking down unless they're truly shady operators. And that, in that case, you don't want to make a short bet based on 
um, the idea that they have FTX exposure. You want to make a short case based on they had FTX exposure and they were in from the outside looking in, right? I think the, the, the short covering rally is valid. I do think that there was a mentality that, look, we're in a bear market. Um, the wrong things have gone up uh, in the new year, like um, the firm, which is that thing that can't repackage its buy now, pay later loans, which is totally going to zero. It, it was up, I don't know, 20% the other day. And I think there are a number of people who are writing some shorts, and I think you'll see like a bounce in Tesla here in the Q1. Um, who are writing some shorts into this year thinking, hey, well, I might even press into 2023. Um, and uh, they just decided, no, thank you on that one. But there's typically not enough short interest to ever create short covering rallies. Um, what really creates short covering rallies are people who go long, who think people are short covering. I know that may sound like a difference to the distinction, but it is kind of worth noting the behavioral psychology around that, which is people look for stuff that they think that people are going to have to short cover on. They don't necessarily short cover. So um, until you get a true short squeeze, which means there's more options and derivatives um, than there are shares of stock, which is what happened the first time with GameStop that we all know about. But that's a technical like financial situation that you get into. Um, and short covering rallies as how points out and I point out, we point out our trading rules, which are also available to premium subscribers is that, uh, you know, there's no asterisk beside rallies or sell-offs. Like you don't have to give the money back if you were long in a short covering rally. Um, so how much does it matter that it's short covering or whatnot? That's it. But the original question on FTX, these are agencies that, as I've said before, are over underfunded, overtaxed and they've, they've got the bad guy um, dead to rights. I mean, the indictment was eight pages long and typed in courier font. Uh, they've got you <laughs> if that's the case. And I mean, they've got cooperators, whatever. And so the, the, you can't get the money back. Right. I don't think in this case, although Mr. Wonderful sure is going to have to give his money back. Um, which I was thinking about, you know, for the podcast, the new name, new year, could I be? Could I be the new Mister Wonderful, Mister Awesome, Mister Mister Awesome? Yeah, it's yeah, Mr. Awesome. yeah. Or I like I like the new Mister Wonderful. The new Mister Wonderful. There you go. New and improved on a, a, a called Shark Tank. That's not about sharks. We have to find you a good uh, good sponsor though. <laughs> yeah. Look, why didn't they call Shark Tank like Get Funded or something? Like, why did they call it? The, the thing about that show for me is I just can't like it's just not good. Like I, I tried to watch it and it's just not good. Like I wasn't no. entertained and nothing with know, Mark thought, Cuban yeah, is going to be yeah. good. <laughs> Mark Cuban put radio on the internet. <laughs> like he's Ross Hanneman from Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah, I mean nothing's going to be good with him on the show. But I just the idea that 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 it exists. I just I can't. I, anyway, moving on. Um. Uh, what other, since you weren't on last time, Wasabi, what are your big 2023 hot takes besides, you know, triple levered Crocs ETF? Crocs ETF, I'm still interested in, in uh, nuclear energy. I think we went into that a little bit with uh, with Doomberg. I'm interested in learning more about that. Is that the I, chicken? I, 
The chicken. That's the chicken. Your friend. So I don't even know the chicken's name. Um, interested in that. I'm interested. Oh, in, he's uh, the guy. No, he came on our podcast or somebody's podcast. He's like natural gas. The price of natural gas is going to double, and it's gone down by seventy percent since then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I yeah. No, I mean, I, I think he called the, it uh, when it was low, but then it went. Other down. than the nuclear yeah. thing, uh, other than the nuclear thing, yeah, you uh, <laughs> you had some nice. Yeah, so I mean, I, you know, I wasn't that mean to the internet chicken. If the internet chicken can't stand a little heat, then you know he needs to literally get out of the oven. Um, and everyone knows his identity. He got dogs, and it's not impressive. But anyway, I I, I will not not go down the internet chicken road again because um, that's what got me into trouble in the first place. Um, but uh, sorry to interrupt you, Wasabi. The the the. Uh, what are your your hot takes since you weren't on last time? I'm interested Sorry. in that. I'm interested in um, ways where crypto touches real world world assets. Following up with the episode that we had with uh, Vinay from uh, Materium, the idea of putting real world uh, items into NFTs and having the NFTs represent actual physical assets in in the real world that you could uh, trade around. I think that that is uh, something I'm going to be looking at. And also these connections, like these banks, right? Like the connections between crypto and the real world. I think that's like we've discovered that trading crypto can get you indicted in the real world. It can lead to real world consequences. So unless there is this corresponding upside for like getting real world cash flows and real world properties and real world um you know, that could be something like human attention or um, art or things that are that have intrinsic value onto crypto assets and and using crypto rails to trade them. I think there needs to be kind of like a corresponding value on that side of the ledger uh, for crypto to sort of keep up and and remain relevant. So you're a, you've got sort of you've articulated the thesis for Wasabi's ARK Innovation Fund. So you think in a, you're looking for, on the one hand, you're looking for to short disaster. And on the other hand, you're looking for things that are innovation. In in innovation will be rewarded with financial gain. To me. Short disaster? To, to, you think I'm, I'm saying that a disaster is going to come? Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, you meant, no, no, no. I think you very intelligently identified yeah. uh, a good shorts where places that are potentially exposed to what's going to go down as the largest, um, you know, corporate fuck up since Enron, which was the largest corporate fuck up ever, right? Um, and we seem to go through these corporate fuck ups every seven years. I mean, think Enron, Madoff, uh, then some medical billing stuff that not a lot of people heard about, but it was all equally as big in the sort of late aughts, and now with Sam Bankman Fried. Um, we see, there's kind of a cyclicality to all this. Um, but I think, I think, I think, I guess my, the point I was just trying to make on that one is I think, again, you very intelligently identified, you know, is there still a way to make money off of sort of the misery here, which if you're a trader, that's what you do. Um, and, um, on the other hand, uh, have sort of pointed to that people will be rewarded for innovation. I don't, I think my thing on 2023, my only counter, I mean, this is supposed to be good podcast content. It's supposed to be people coming up with very good ideas like you just presented and then people coming up with the other side of the trade, right? 
So the other side of that trade is that where the leadership is going to be like it was in the stock market last year, which is the Procter and Gamble is going to be up. The Eli Lilly is going to be up. The Merck is going to be up. And the innovation and growth and tech and things that don't make money are going to get slaughtered, right? And so I, I think I think that's just a counter to what you were saying, that, that can you be in an environment, can there be a really sweet rally in crypto, which in which is the best risk adjusted trade here? Could there be a really sweet sort of mild mannered um, rally in let's call it Bitcoin Ethereum complex, and there just be a total lack of because that's sort of the Procter and Gamble this scenario, and it, and people come up with the coolest protocol you've ever seen that does all this stuff. But it just doesn't catch on. It's not. There's no 10x's this year on new coins because we're just not in that environment. We're not in an environment where people care about things like use case. We're just well. You mentioned of, you mentioned yeah. Eli Lilly, and that's one. This uh, fat loss drug that they're coming out with that has the potential to be the biggest investment theme of the year if that takes off and it doesn't become another fen fen, right? So that's one I've. I've has crossed my radar and I've made a, a note to look into it deeper because if this thing gets approved for every overweight American or person in the world. Yeah, I'll take it be... by I'll take it by the truckload. Yeah, I mean look, healthcare's healthcare and drug stocks and you know, biotech and all that's very always very hard because you have to have a hot new drug and you know, people you gotta follow that stuff really, 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 we, really closely. We never talk about this on here. What do you guys think about gold? Great question. Great question. I, gold, I have the same attitude towards gold that a lot of people have towards crypto, which is you go, you guys go ahead. You make as much money as you want to on gold. It's not for me. I don't understand it. It's, um, it's one of those things that's been pitched. Uh, gold bugs are inherently weird people. Um, there are gold maxis that are worse than Bitcoin maxis in terms of their loud, angry, vociferous, you know, bullshit, uh, like Peter Schiff, that guy, I don't understand how he makes money because there's gold bear markets and all he's ever done has been like go long gold. And I think gold could be good for a trade, but never, ever, ever, ever buy into these, the counter narrative stuff, right? The, the, oh my God, they're printing money. You got to buy gold. That kind of stuff. Like gold is a weird. It's a weird. It's weird. It, it does well in high risk environments. It does well, and it's like it, it decides what it wants to be. It's almost like I don't. Know, you know, Bitcoin has some of these qualities, but so um, you know, new new year, new us. I'm uh, I'm really trying to you know take it upon myself this year to really really use the cheat sheet and try and use it in a, a bunch of ways that, you know, uh, retail investors can, can relate to and actually, you know, take action on. Um, so, you know, normally I just trade the crypto and I use the rest of the cheat sheet as, you know, a barometer of risk and that sort of thing. Um, but gold started getting bullish on the, the cheat sheet. It's probably one of the most bullish looking things on the cheat sheet. So I, um, I bought the GLD uh, ETF this morning uh, and a really far long dated call option. And, um, I think maybe in a couple of months, I'm going to move some funds over to interactive brokers and actually trade those, those futures contracts on those, those four things on the, um, 
on the cheat sheet, but that, that takes a bit more money than, you know, someone maybe getting involved in the ETF. So I just want to see how well I can trade. Well, they the have ETFs micros. You don't have micros now, right? Yeah. Yeah. But even then you can get a, you can get a really cheap, you know, partial ETF on Robinhood or whatever. So yeah, I'm just, just going to, just going to see if I can trade it from a couple of different instruments. But yeah, the, uh, the cheat sheet is, is bullish gold. I don't really know what's going on over there in the gold bug territory, but, uh, it looks like there's a bit of a rally going on, so I'm going to see if I can participate and, and trade it just off the cheat sheet with, with really no other inputs. No, that's a great thing. Look, that's when I think gold really works is if it's if you approach it from a technical technicals perspective. But almost always, when gold is in a mood, silver gets in a better bigger mood. Like it, it's sort of like you know the Bitcoin Ethereum analogy or whatever. But but you know if if we do see that mild-mannered rally in Bitcoin and Ethereum, Ethereum is probably going to outperform Bitcoin, right? It typically does when things are sort of going up. And and silver, silver is probably the place if I was going to do precious metals. But precious metals is just asking one step, to me, it's just asking one step too far uh, in terms of the level of analysis that you have to get to to really, you know, think, hey, I'm going to, because gold futures are big and nasty. I think, you know, um, the tick size is, you know, a thousand dollars per ten dollars of gold or something. So, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't have a really solid thesis or whatever, I mean, that is a, you know, gold in the summer of twenty twenty one had a flash crash and it went down eight percent in the futures one night. I mean, that can just take you out. So uh, I think if you want to play gold, probably the best way to do it is through the miners ETF or something like that. Um, yeah, and I mean, just on the, uh, you know, a more broader macro technical thing, if you pull up the five-year chart of gold, it looks pretty bullish, just like, on you know, classic TA. There's some sort of wedgy-looking thing that might break out. You know, but the thing is, is that could take, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this as a, you know, I'm going to hold this thing probably for at least half the year, if not more or something, and, and maybe get 5%, 6%. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And guess what? At current values and inflation, you will have made no money if that's the case. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. with, the, with, the do- with, with the dollar going down, you're already uh, about 10%. Um, even when we were in Martinique together in September, you're 10% less wealthy than you were with the dollar going down. So you got to, you got to remember that. I think that that's, that's something that people forget is that a lot of people made a lot of calculations over the last couple of years based on zero interest rates, based on an accommodative fed, based on whatever. And it's, and now it's time to pay the bills. And, but I, I still think we're a really long way. I was thinking about this was driving back up here to Taos New Mexico, which um, have a compound out here, which would be incredible for a foot guns festival. Um, but uh, um, when I was driving up, I was thinking there's all these people passing me, going real fast, had their skis on the roof. What is it going to take for them to stop um, going skiing? Because ski resorts do really bad in recessions. And you know what is it? You're going to have to have something systemic systemic and systemic risk is hidden risk the whole idea of systemic risk is it's so pervasive and it's so you know it's so in the blood of everything 
and everything's so cross-collateralized that if you tip that one domino, the whole thing goes. And we're going to have to see something like that. And we talked about that last time with International Bank of Settlements and the FX swaps that are off-balance sheet debt, um, which I think is like a kind of hidden 2008 big short opportunity potentially with the dollar. Um, but I think you're going to have to have something systemic and you're going to have to have unemployment and you're going to have to have housing correct pretty hard. And if we just don't get there, I just, I, this is the first time in my life where um, we've anticipated a recession with such fervor. I do think the following um, on 2023 uh, more predictions. Um, I do think that the Fed is going to be st- start to be less of a question, right? I mean, higher for longer, whatever. But the kind of frantic, you know, Nasdaq moving five percent in a day, seven percent in a day on a CPI report, on a Fed report, on a jobs report. I think that's going to stop. I, just because you can't the exhaustion last year. I just can't tell you if you were a trader. So in terms of volatility and range, okay, so one of the things I am willing to predict, um, and I saw it in your face, Hal and Martinique, was 2022 was just an exhausting year to be a trader. I came out on the winning side of it, but um, it was an exhausting year. I mean, I can't do that again. I cannot have oil moving $10 a day. You can't keep up. You cannot have the 7% reactions on NASDAQ futures to CPI reports, 5%. And, you know, last year was one of only four years in history where the SP, uh, ES or the uh, S&P had uh, down days exceeding, 60 down days exceeding 1%. And these were big moves. These were 100-point moves per day. That, that, that for, for, for all of history, 100 points would be like what you try to get on a year and last year was just, I mean, I, so I just think people are, exa- I can't do another year of this. Like I'm, I'm looking at ways to pare back my exposure if we do see that kind of volatility. But I just don't think people have that kind of, you can only do that for a year or you have a heart attack and die due to the stress. Like, So wait, are you saying that volatility is going to go down or are you saying that you need real to volatility, real volatility is going to go down? Yes. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't, I'd be very surprised just of that exhaustion effect. But if it doesn't, then you need to trade this really, really hard for the first like month. Don't ask a whole lot of questions. If the and market is, yeah, and just just because you're gonna you're gonna die, like you're you're gonna have bad health consequences because it's just, I mean, you just can't you can't you could not in 2022 you could not have an overnight position on oil and not check it and. That is just, you can't do that. Like, you have to wake up at, you know, 3 a.m. when Europe opens every single night and check on something. It's like having a newborn in the house or something. I mean, people can't do that infinitely. Kids grow up, right? They, they need less care. People decide to do it again. They have more kids. But nobody has, like, 100 kids. Well, no, I mean, I completely agree with you that last year was exhausting. And uh, here's to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I just, if, if, can you if really? 20- can you really do that for two years straight? Yeah, if 2023 is not a calmer year, then I absolutely will be out of the markets. Uh, more. Yeah, because it's just not worth it. Like, but but I mean, you need to hit if it is, if it does wind up being that for a little bit. Um, but 
you know, the scenario I described, I just remember, just never forget this, that the stock market is not reality. And the prices of assets are never reality. Yes, reality will come and get you at certain intervals, but very rarely does reality come home. And so, you know, equities, last year was one of the first years uh, bonds and equities both slumped together. You know, usually down equity year, you got bond rally. I mean, it's been a 40-year bond rally that kind of ended. So where are we in the credit cycle? All that, all those other kind of deep, deep questions that I can't really answer, but I'm not sure they matter for our purposes. Like getting really analytical, you know, pulling a, a Danny Moses and, um, you know, staying on bank balance sheets like a hawk, I don't think is what necessarily pays you in this environment when there's so much of that volatility. But if we're going to get retail confidence back in the market, which I think you need in order to get, you know, back up to the previous highs on ES, that's what you really need, right? It's not a real one-to-one correlation between earnings and share prices. Because if that were true, then, you know, everything would trade. Everyone would know the future. Um, Here's the question I have for you, Mr. Wonderful, to close this out. You the, new, said, the new Mr. Wonderful. New Mr. Wonderful. You want a short uh, VC. You're still bearish VC. What kind and of signals equity. would you need to see to want to get in some of these deals? What would what would what would we need to happen in the economy, in the Super Bowl ads, in the uh, you know fake trading sardines? What would you need to see to say actually this is the time? Valuations have come down enough to make me interested. I think that the uh, LPs have to the limited partners uh, have to refuse to participate in capital calls. Now they're legally bound to do so, but there's ways to signal. So in, in 2008, um, on the private equity side, everybody was had a fund or whatever got signals from their investors like, "Don't call capital right now. We're not into this. We will pay it because." If you get a reputation for being an investor who doesn't honor his commitments, you won't be invited to the next fund. But if you call capital, we won't be in the next fund. So um, when you start to see that, um, when you start to see it's the ones that, I mean, all these guys were getting involved, like Blackstone was getting involved in G round pre-IPO funding. And they were just trying to front run IPOs and all that kind of stuff. That shit is dead. All right. So that's the first nail in the coffin. Um, and I would have to get well more under the hood in some of these companies in specific, having been a private equity investor in the past. And venture capital is just private equity, but it's pre-revenue potentially and or pre-profitability, whereas private equity depends on cash flows. But here's, here's the problem. Rates, forget the Fed. Everything is measured off the 10-year yield, right? We price everything off that. Your credit card bill, if if you have a you know interest bearing credit card that you run a balance on, which I don't know a lot of people do, but there are people ostensibly do that. That's why how credit card people make their money. Um, you know, your interest rate just went up four percent. Your floating mortgage went up four percent. Your so the ten year, the Fed could do nothing, and the ten year it's just a trade. Right, interest rates are just a trade, just like everything else. And so the ten-year is flirting with four hundred basis points. It was at zero or twenty-five basis. I mean, we never had negative 
uh, yields like they do in Japan or whatever, but we had negative, we have negative real yields right now. And so probably I think rates will trade up to the rate of inflation. And if that's true, those guys can't, they, all their models are based on low interest rate debt. Now, if it's a good company, if you, if you're running a good company, I've dealt with some pretty high interest rate lenders in order to plug holes in capital structures and portfolio companies, because it's like, I don't want to pay equity rates. I'll pay MES rates. So I'll pay a, you know, 13, 14% interest rate so I can own more of the company or own more of the company on behalf of investors. So you will take, you know, high interest rate MES loans, junk bonds, whatever. Um, but really good companies, interest doesn't bring you down. You know, interest, cost of capital doesn't bring you down. Um, but can cost of capital across the entire society when everything has to be repriced because everything's based off the 10-year yield, so all valuations are inherently wrong right now. And that's going to be true for at least six more months like venture capital. So to answer your question, Wasabi, the answer is when, when, um, when good companies that have a real product and still may not be making money or whatever, they get taken out, they default on their debt and go through the distressed debt angle. I think that's probably the trade of 2023. Um, but you got to have, unfortunately there's no retail path in there for that. So one of the, um, you know, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm just identifying like a scenario is that, cause you're saying, so, um, these rates are going to go towards inflation. So one of the things that could happen is some sort of surprise, like maybe the war in Ukraine ends or people talk about this, like China reopening or whatever. Um, but you know, some sort of event that is disinflationary. And then all of a sudden we get like some CPI print that, you know, inflation's back to 3% or something, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of people I've listened to have said, well, that would be, you know, an historic, you know, decrease or whatever, but so, you know, something like that, the fed would be forced to uh, pivot, right. Or whatever, forced to cut interest rates to keep up with the, the market in that scenario. And that would be like a headwind for stock. No, see if the fed pivots due to a bad economic situation, Stocks will rally for one day and they will sell off harder than you've ever seen. Because if the Fed has to, if things are so bad, the Fed has to pivot, there will be initial euphoria followed by an amazing slump lower. Because, um, you know, uh, inflation, what we regard as bad inflation is also the appreciation of pr- people's primary asset, which is housing prices, right? And that's still going up. So, um, I think um, I, I just don't think there's a three percent inflation print in front of us. It's either going to remain stubbornly high or it's going to go negative because the Fed has gone too far, right. it's too gonna fast. Go, right. Yeah, and, and and we're going to have a true crash. And you can't honestly. The thing about true crashes is one. Always keep this in mind: true crashes happen when things are down. They do not happen at the top of the market. That's not when crashes start, sort of start. So things have an initial leg down. There's pressure on prices, and then they get sort of taken down. But you need that systemic risk factor, which for people like me who live through it, if you're working in finance in 0809, you will forever be trying to find 0809. You will ever trying to find it so you can avoid it. And it's just like the people who got hooked on VC and the dot-com and stayed out in Silicon Valley during the lean years, 
they were just waiting for the next wave. There's sort of a negative version of that for if you were trading or investing in 08 or 09, you want to stay away from it. And I just, I don't know how many market participants, how many new market participants and new retail remembers 08 or 09 all that well. And if you look back in history, it was a speed bump. But boy, it did not feel like a speed bump at the time. And um, net um, bearish sentiment actually peaked in 2013. I don't know if people know that. Net bearish sentiment on the Bank of America survey peaked in 2013. And that's when we got that 30% run in the S&P and things really felt like it's over. Like we don't have to worry about 08 or 09 anymore. It was 2013. So it was T minus, let's call it 2009. 2014 things tend to go in four-year cycles there's a weird four-year cycle like why is most wars are like big wars are four four-year cycles civil war World war two um world war one college last four years high school last four years middle school last four years presidential terms last four years there's something about four years and so we will be yeah, that's, you know, the, that's the bitcoin yeah, the Bitcoin having cycle. Which we so are we on uh, be... year three now. This is the start of year three of that. Right. So if we're on year three of that, and we're basically on, if you we're on year three of COVID or, or the, you know, the, the, whatever that, that thing was, whatever you want to call it. Um, if we're on year three of that, then year four is really when you typically want to be wrong. And so what do you want to do? Buy in year four? No, you want to buy right now. Um, you want to position yourself here. I mean, can Apple go down to 100? Yes. Do I think it will based on the charts? Yes. But my gut instinct tells me that if you think Apple's going to go to 100, and you think it's basically going to you know, stop going down at 100, then you should start buying it right here at 125 or whatever because it went as high as 180 or whatnot. And we'll, we'll know. That's what we've been talking about. That's one reason I'm doing the podcast in the middle of the day while the markets are up. I don't have any risk on. I want to see what this, why not just, because last year, if you just waited a little bit and, and I mean, the market peaked in January 4th. And if you just waited a little bit and went with it, um, boy, you did well in the first half, right? I was too busy being long oil at the time, but I'm just saying like, wait a little bit, let this thing show, show its direction. You're not going to miss it. If, if yes. This sorry, perfectly, sorry. this this matches perfectly my Crocs philosophy. Like it may be ten degrees outside, but now is the perfect time to go get your Crocs for the summer because you never know those sparkly ones are going to be sold out when you want to get your June <laughs> summer Crocs. Um, so go now, don't wait. All right, here's the ultimate sign of a bull: a bald eagle just flew by. Yeah, there we go. That's the ultimate side ball. I want one more question though from Wasabi. What would it take to get you to put your entire net worth into Crocs? What would you need to see? Oh man, I would never do that. I got burned in this bull market. I put thirty percent of my portfolio into a stock that went down a lot, and I'm never fucking doing that again. Okay, never doing that. That was my that you know. If we were recording the last podcast together, I would have warned about over-concentration. It had nothing to do with crypto. It was completely separate uh, from crypto. So, ba- um, so based on that, you'd need something really, you need some really strong conviction. Yeah. No, I don't think I would do it. But I why think, not just I go think, all in I with a no, tight stop? 
Mm. Yeah, I don't really do that. I do. <laughs> Look, I still like. I'm gonna buy. Oh, all right, when we when we hit close, I'm gonna go buy some more some Crocs here because it's it's still at a freaking twelve PE. Thing, Ooh, yeah. Your you valuation. Think, yeah. You think you think that matters? Okay. If you know, you I have. It, Compare it to night. Compare it to any other clothing uh, valuation right now. It's crazy. Would we get? Would we get like sued or something if we release this as the All In podcast with Mister Wonderful? Yes, let's do it. No, let's do it. I want to get sued. I'm in the mood. I mean, as, as I said, everything I offer is uh, financial advice, and all you have to do is, as a premium member, um, <laughs> you'll have access to our email. You can just email us. There we go. All right. Uh, anybody got anything else? No, uh, but I think, this uh, is definitely the all-in podcast with Mr. Wonderful. all-in podcast with Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, I'll talk to you guys soon. Um, I'm excited for Q1. It could be Happy good. Oh, I mean, be flexible. It's, be, yeah, it's going to be good no matter what. I, 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 yeah, it, I think no matter what, right, we're either going to get a nice trading range to trade we're going to get a nice short or we're going to get a nice, you know, quiet, long. I mean, that's the thing about bull markets, right? They, they, They're they sneaky. They're quiet, yeah. They're very sneaky and they climb a wall of worry and they move a lot slower than bear markets. So that's why they can, they can happen. That's why things can, can just get carried away um, quicker than you can get in. And then you got to chase it. Then because professional fund managers have to chase performance. And before you know it, you're in a bull market. You don't even know how you got there. Well, with that um, sort of semi-positive note, this has been the Foot Guns Podcast for January the 4th, uh, maybe. Um, it's Wednesday. Uh, and uh, we'll be back next week, and we'll do this all over again. We're going.